1: Learn more at marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini, We're presented by CLNS Media. Today on the show, Coleswicker's back. We're going to talk about a bunch of, like, random topics, I guess. Click Pell's Heart, which really sucks and means we're going to have to get more of a superhuman James Harden performance for the rest of the year, uh, at least for the next six weeks. Uh, then we're going to move in. We're going to talk about the Robin Lopez situation, which seems kind of strange uh, on a lot of different levels to me. Uh, and then finally, we're going to jump in and talk about uh, a little bit of the Jim Boylan thing in Chicago, where he now has actual guaranteed money next year and then we're gonna talk about draft stuff we're gonna talk about cam reddish we're gonna talk about um just some of the other interesting prospects that have crossed our radar over the course of the last week cole how are you doing man
0: doing well i actually slept through patriots chargers on purpose yesterday just because i knew what was gonna happen and i couldn't deal with it in real time but uh it's good man i caught up on all college basketball got through about eight games last night good slate tonight so it's going well
1: yeah, it's a, it's an interesting slate. Like, I'm excited to watch Duke-Syracuse um, ex- just because I'm like interested to see how those freshmen deal with that zone. It's not actually a predictive game in any way. It's just like a weird, fun game, I guess, right?
0: Oh, yeah, 100%. I got that recorded. Indiana-Nebraska is about to kick off right now. I think that's really interesting with Juwan Morgan, Isaiah Roby, Romeo Lankford, has played much better in conference play. Also get Kansas-Texas tonight, which should be good.
1: Yeah, and we're going to talk about Romeo Langford a little bit later on, um, just because Romeo is a very, very interesting player. Uh, he's a very interesting profile in the way that he's played this year. It's just a very bizarre uh, bizarre deal with him, and we've talked about him a little bit, but it, it just continues to get more difficult to project, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, so let's let's start. Let's just kind of jump in here with Clint Capella. Clint Capella uh, is out for the next four to six weeks. Uh, I believe that he has a right thumb injury. Correct?
0: Uh, yes, I believe that's correct.
1: Uh, Look, this is a team that already doesn't have a ton of depth. This is a team that has uh, finally righted the ship, seemingly, after such a difficult start to the season. Uh, they're dealing with the Chris Paul injury. Chris Paul is expected to be out uh, until the end of January, if I remember correctly, on that, uh, with the hamstring injury. I mean, like, where are we at with the way that the Rockets can compensate for this? Because, like, look, like they they have actual bigs that are intriguing like pj tucker can play the five um marquise chris is existing like he's a human i think is the best way to put it like i think this is a tough one though basically
0: it definitely is i mean you look at how their roster is constructed right now i watched a little bit of that orlando game yesterday they got gary clark marquise chris James Ennis and Gerald Green off the bench. There's just not a lot of fives here. Nene's out. They just don't have a lot of depth at that position. Um, So you... I mean, you can kick over Gary Clark. You can play the four. You can play, you know, Marquise Chris at small ball five. You can do that with P.J. Tucker as well. But they're just running short here. They're running on fumes a little bit. Harden, of course, went one of 17 from three yesterday. The burden for him has just gotten to the point where it's absolutely outrageous, like what he has to do on a nightly basis for them to compete. And Capella is obviously very integral to them. I know he hasn't been as good at space defense this year, but as a play finisher, as a lob threat for Harden they run a very simplistic offense clearly and he's a very big fixture of that with his ability to finish around the basket so it's a huge loss for them
1: yeah it is and you know he's actually someone that really helps James Harden too like his ability to set screens and get separation for Harden just reduces that burden slightly right like it's one fewer sidestep step step back three that Harden has to take a game or two fewer of those like uh, it just creates that slight extra bit of separation that gives him just that extra bit of efficiency and every little bit matters whenever you're talking about this rocket seam right now because like you said they are kind of running on fumes until Chris Paul gets back like uh, you know they Beat the Cavaliers by twenty eight. They beat the Nuggets by twelve, which was a great win. They beat the Warriors, uh, you know, a couple weeks back, which was an incredible win. But this is a team that's also lost to the Trailblazers and lost to the Magic, and uh, they struggled against the Bucks uh, last week. Like this is, you know, there's. It's not to say that struggling against the Bucks wouldn't be expected in a lot of ways for just about any team in the NBA right now. But man, this might like. I thought Chris Paul might be the injury that broke the camel's back. This one actually might be that one because it's really difficult to make up for the loss of two top 50 players whenever your roster is specifically built around three top 50 players and a bunch of like really interesting depth pieces.
0: Exactly. And Harden can replace Chris Paul's usage too because he's just that superhuman. It's hard on him, and I don't know if he can do it for an entire season plus the playoffs, but he can do it well enough in a short stint to where you get you're that role optimized like you're not going to get better than james harden in the modern nba for like an isolation score but i don't know if they can replace what capella can give them as a rim protector you talked about the offense he creates for harden he also creates easy offense for the rockets just but with his gravitational uh vertical spacing his offensive rebounding his high activity that's a way for them to siphon off easy points and they don't have that anymore i mean you're going to incur some kind of trade-off when you play gary clark when you play a marquise chris it's not going to be the same
1: yeah, no question. Uh, you mentioned the defense. Maybe that's the place that we should focus on even more. I mean, uh, he is a significant factor within the fact that this defense, uh, over the last little while, has been a little bit better, uh, at least. Like, look, they're still 26th in defensive rating. But if you lose a genuine top, what we, we would say he's a top 25 defender in the in call in the nba right
0: i definitely would have last year uh this year i I think his space defense has dropped off a little bit so maybe on the precipice of that but still very good especially relative to the other players on their roster
1: right like that's the thing like pj tucker is a good defender but again like i would say pj's defense has dropped off slightly a little bit this season um you know pj tucker realistically right now is probably the only like super plus defender that they're going to play right now right like james ennis is fine on defense gary clark's a good defender uh like i guess gary clark we should count in that but gary clark's also a rookie um so like they they just have so many holes to fill now like if james harden keeps this up and james harden starts averaging like 50 points a night and they keep winning just hand them the mvp now
0: Yeah, 100%. I mean, what he's done this year, carrying the load, is just ridiculous, especially of late. But I think it's worth noting, looking at Houston's roster, if they get healthy, they found some interesting pieces. Like, Daniel House has been pretty good for them this year, from what I've seen. Like, he's been a good shooter. I I I haven't watched enough to chime in on his defense, um, but it seems to be respectable. He definitely has the frame to be a problem there. Austin Rivers has given them decent minutes, as Austin Rivers, so insert no matter what joke you have, but I mean, he's better than a lot of the guys. He's better than Brandon Knight. So you're getting added depth there. If they get Chris Paul back, if they get Capella back, I think they're going to be fine long term i still don't trust everyone on their bench um gary clark has kind of gone in and out of the rotation he started there for the year um just jack's a bunch of threes he's a great team defender i'm not sure about his switchability in the playoffs but it, it is worth noting that i do think they found some on the margins pieces it's just about getting these guys back and healthy because like you said i think pj is probably their best defender now but he doesn't bring you the same skill set as a rim protector that capella does
1: yeah uh I'm pretty skeptical of the way this is going to go down for the Rockets over the next couple weeks. Once they get Chris Paul back, that will really help them, I would say, is the way to put it. Uh, like, I don't know that it cures everything that is ailing them. I mean, Brandon Knight missed their game against the Magic. Eric Gordon missed their game against the Magic. So like, if these guys missed the next Rockets game, you're talking about James Harden, PJ Tucker, Austin Rivers, Marquise Chris, Daniel House, James Ennis, like, Gerald Green, Gary Clark? That's your rotation?
0: Yeah. I mean, for the next couple games and the next in, it's not going to be pretty. I'm just saying more long-term. I think they found some pieces on the margins that could help them. But, yeah, it's going to be a struggle. They're going to be relying on Harden. I mean, we should say something. Like, last time I checked pull-up threes totals, like, Harden was, like, 200 above the next best guy. It it was crazy how much he's doing. I mean, obviously, the 17 threes. He's taking a lot of these off the dribble. It's just a really high burden that he's carrying right now it's almost historically high I'm not sure if we've ever seen quite this amount of just isolation basketball and just having to beat guys one-on-one like their win against the Warriors I thought was one of the most impressive things I've seen from a player in recent memory from Harden I mean just the amount of usage he was carrying and the fact that he won that game on difficult shots he's just insane man
1: yeah we mentioned on the last podcast with uh, Dieter Kurtenbach that I'm pretty sure the number still is that he has made more pull-up threes than any team in the NBA so far crazy like, yeah it's just unbelievable what James Harden has done this season uh, I think that the jury I guess is out until we see them play again but uh, things do not look good in Houston right now I mean I would still say they like get past this and make the playoffs but I do think that you know losing Clint Capella for four to six weeks genuinely like does make that a question worth asking
0: I think I mean this kind of trans transfers into the next topic or whatnot but I think they kind of have to make a move at this point they really have to try to acquire a replacement level big that can just give them legitimate minutes It does not have to be a star caliber player of course but just to get competent minutes in that position because right now I don't think you can move forward relying on Marquise Chris for example to start at the five
1: well let's do that let's talk about Robin Lopez now and I think Robin Lopez should be a pretty real target for them uh Robin Lopez is in the midst, according to Chris Haynes of Yahoo, uh, in the midst of trying to negotiate some sort of like buyout, I guess, or at least his agent is, so that he can go join the Golden State Warriors. Uh what was your initial thought whenever you like saw the warriorsness of it all?
0: <laughs> I mean, that's usually where you go with any kind of committee big. Everybody always points to the Warriors. We don't know about DeMarcus Cousins as far as how viable he's going to be, how short amount of time is he going to be back in. So I, I think that's just the logical conclusion we make. We look at the Warriors. We see Kevon Looney. We see Jordan Bell. We don't see a definitive center there. So everybody mostly just points it to them because it's just a logical fit. If you want to go to a contender and win, they have that positional uh, slot available.
1: So, yeah, I agree. Um, that That makes a lot of sense. To me to go to the Warriors, I I was a little bit surprised that uh, the Warriors felt like they might want to use a roster spot on him, I guess. Like if I was them, I probably would wait to see how Cousins goes early on in his tenure. I mean, I I think also like it kind of shows that they're not super comfortable with Kevon Looney, Jordan Bell and like that weird center rotation that they have.
0: Yeah, 100%. I I think that they're always looking to upgrade. I mean, the Warriors haven't exactly been... I mean, they've been very good this year. They're still historically good. But they haven't been as juggernauty, I guess, as some people expected. Because, I mean, when you have a team that's this successful over this many years, like, you're not going to be able to bring it every single night at an elite level. It it just doesn't happen realistically. So, I mean, just from an upgrading your roster standpoint, it's always worth entertaining upgrades, especially when you are in uh, championship-level contention, which is obviously where they are.
1: So... Yeah, I get that. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I would guess that they probably don't end up with Robin Lopez because Robin Lopez uh, is under contract with the Bulls and the Bulls are not interested in buying him out. They want to see if they can negotiate a trade. And yep. I think that they probably will be able to swing that, especially now with the Clint Capella move, because like Houston, there, there's very real reason for Houston to make that kind of move, I think.
0: I agree. It's both in terms of short-term getting a replacement big for Capella, but also long-term, you brought this up, um, being able to get off Brian Knight's contract next year. I think that that brings into play a potential first-round pick that could be dealt here. I don't think... I mean, they're not trading Robin Lopez... They're not trading a first-rounder for Robin Lopez in a vacuum, but if you can get off money long-term, I think that might be an amenable uh, proposition for them.
1: Well, it's funny. I think I mentioned that off the air on the podcast. So, like, my idea was... Robin Lopez for Brook or Brandon Knight and the first round pick. I mean, like, the the weird thing is, like, I think this is a no-brainer if the Bulls could have thrown in, like, Justin Holiday, right? Uh, like, if Justin Holiday was still there, the Rockets could kind of kill two birds, kill three birds with one stone, really. They could get two guys that expire at the end of the year. Uh, they could get two guys that would really help them compete right now. Uh, they would get a center who would be able to cover up for Clint Capella. They would get a wing who can knock down three pointers and space the floor for uh, what James Harden wants to do, which is essential to the way that their offense operates. He's long and athletic. He's a solid defender. I would say more than like a super plus defender, Justin Holliday. But like you throw in a first and a second round pick for those two guys. That's just like kind of an easy, easy deal. But now I wonder if there is... A total deal to be made like maybe it's just because like a first rounder does still seem like too much just to get off of Brandon Knight's deal and to get Robin Lopez so like maybe it's Robin Lopez Wayne Selden uh, for Brandon Knight in that first round pick like do you think that that I mean just like get a warm body in Houston like that feels valuable
0: Yeah, I'm not saying I would necessarily do it if I was Houston, but I think that at least gets the ball rolling as far as a a deal that you could see them possibly make. I mean, they value their short-term competition more than the long-term draft capital I think that's been pretty clear they're one of the teams that would trade a first rounder i think to for an immediate upgrade it just makes sense logically i'm not sure if it's enough i, I agree with your point about justin holiday it just seems like a little bit short because again you're dealing for a big on an expiring contract they they might be able to get a, a big of like equal value to robin lopez for a cheaper cost on the market or you know just sign somebody at the free agency market it was well uh as well as the buyout market we'll kind of see how that materializes so they have to to run like risk assessment and just evaluate all their options if their best option is to deal a first for robin lopez and get off brandon knight i could see there's at least positives to that deal for them because again i can't i don't think we can understate next year paying brandon knight his salary is not something that houston's owner probably wants to do either
1: yeah. So right now on one, two, three, four, five, six guaranteed contracts, they're at 131 million. Uh, the luxury tax threshold for next year, I want to say is like 130 or so. Like it's probably going to be in that range. Um, so they're already over the tax. If they would get off that Brandon Knight deal, uh, it would give them, real leeway this summer to be able to go out and like make a move Uh, and it would just help them more because Robin Lopez is a more useful player than Brandon Knight right now Um, the more I think about it the more I think that like those long-term incentives actually make this a positive for Houston if they were able to do it and if you're Chicago I think you should like a hundred percent of the time be paying like 15 million extra dollars to Brandon Knight to be able to pick up a first round pick just realistically with how valuable those picks are. Uh, I think in the fact that you have a ton of cap space, you're nowhere near, uh, a max, you would still have max cap space. If I remember correctly, even if you signed, or if, even if you took on that Brandon Knight contract, uh, and you know you'd be getting a younger player that would be very very useful to you like that that just seems like a win-win for both sides to me
0: yeah when you think about it in a vacuum like if houston was going to get off Brandon Knight's contract even in the offseason i think it's going to cost them a first round pick i don't think any team's going to take on 15.6 million dollars for anything yeah. less than that so unless they attach somebody else on the roster but i don't think gary clark gets it done um so when you think about it that way plus you're adding the immediate contributions of robin lopez i think that deal does make a lot of sense and for the bulls absolutely they need as many bites at the apple as possible in the draft getting a pick i mean they haven't really utilized their cap space well anyway we just saw what they did with it this past offseason now they're trying to offload jabari parker so just get the draft pick
1: yeah just just rent out the cap space and get the draft pick i think that's the right move for sure um i guess there's a real opportunity cost here that we should talk about like getting off of the Brandon Knight money is super valuable but should they be using their first round pick this year to go get something else maybe um the problem is that I can't really find the move that I like better for them, I guess is the way to put it. Like, Does any other like random big man on an expiring contract kind of creep to mind for you?
0: I mean, I just thought of what we talked about last time with like Ekpe Udo or something, some a big like that that might not be great, but just can get you by over the next six months or six, six weeks, sorry, that it wouldn't cost you a first rounder. I think you can find bigs. I haven't surveyed the entire league, but you can find serviceable serviceable bigs in the league maybe a Dwayne Dedman that's another good one because the Hawks have some real depth there with Alex Len. not like it's great depth with Amari Spellman but they're probably trying to open up some minutes for Spellman you can get I don't think Dedman's gonna cost you a first round pick I think you can get him for a second rounder and I think the Hawks might do that
1: yeah I think that they probably would do that uh I think it'd be difficult to convince the Hawks to do that like 50s second rounder maybe it might take a couple but um I I would bet that Dwayne Dedman probably gets moved for a second round pick what if you're what if you're Cleveland and you can get off the J.R. Smith contract and then you can throw in, I mean, like, do we think Channing Fry gets the job done for four weeks?
0: That's really tough defensively, man. I mean, with a pick and pop combination with Harden because teams switch that so much, that would it'd be interesting, even though Fry can't really do much out of that. But if they didn't yeah. switch, he would really help him as a spacer. But I don't know if he really gets it done at this juncture, uh, especially defensively.
1: Yeah, like the idea would be filling two birds with one stone. May, or yep. killing two birds with one stone there um i don't know i don't know if i find that like as appealing as just getting robin lopez um i'm trying to think if there are any other expiring bigs that like really make a lot of sense like league-wide i mean Noah Vonleh. like if they could get Noah Vonleh and courtney lee somehow that would be the absolute best move but the problem is that uh the Knicks will not be as amenable to taking on Brandon Knight's deal as a team like the bulls or a team like the, uh, you know, uh, even the Cavs would potentially consider just because they don't want that money. If they, anything they want to get off Courtney Lee's money to be able to utilize max cap space next summer. And I I think that they'll be able to get off Courtney Lee's money to utilize max cap space next summer. Um, but like if you could get Noah Vonlay, uh, for a like, er, the problem is, I don't think they have any early second round picks. But, like, Noah Vonley to me is one of the most intriguing trade deadline pieces of any player in the league.
0: I agree. He's been really good this year. Honestly, he's really taken the leap to I mean, his defense has impressed me every time I've watched him against Milwaukee yep. and he's defended Giannis pretty well. Um just playing really hard. So I'm with you there. I think just surveying the league. though, I want to go back to Atlanta really quick. I think this might make the most sense again with with Deadman, You don't have to sacrifice all those assets. And I would also look out for Torian Prince here. In some respect, I think that they could look to move him. Um, just get, judging by their core, if you can get a bigger scale deal where they can get more picks, I think they might be amenable to taking on Brandon Knight as well if they get that first rounder, even though they already have two first rounders in this class. So maybe they don't want a third. Maybe they'll want it more in the future. But I wouldn't rule out Atlanta here. I think they have like the willingness to make a deal and they have the means to.
1: So you're saying Atlanta, you're saying Deadman, Torian Prince for Brandon Knight in the first? not
0: necessarily that construct i don't know if they'd necessarily do that just for the first when they would be taking out brandon knight i don't think they would include prince in that kind of deal i'm just saying on a grand yeah. scale maybe you see a third team i just wouldn't rule out atlanta i think they have the means to really do something at the deadline
1: yeah i think atlanta is a good call i think that's actually a really really good call um i'm trying to think if like phoenix could realistically do anything i don't really see them as is the is a player here that helps anyone Cause like Ryan I, Anderson, I yeah, like Ryan Anderson's money is like that. That's not something that really helps Houston. I mean, they just paid to get off of that money, so I, I'd be surprised if that is uh, that is in the calculus at all. Um, I mean, Orlando doesn't really have the guy. I don't think that like makes a lot of sense there, right? Um, like Kem Birch could maybe potentially help but like they they just don't have the expiring money and i don't think they should be taking on that kind of brandon knight deal either
0: yeah and i think Vucevic is too valuable for that the way he's played this year i don't think orlando's taking like a late first back for him even though i'm not sure what they get for him if they put him on the open market but i'm guessing it'll be more than brandon knight plus a first
1: uh <laughs> what about trevor ariza uh back in houston okay I don't know how to get them there though, because like they're they're not gonna want to. I don't think the Wizards are gonna want to take on the Brandon Knight money. I think that if anything, no. they'll wait for Trevor to get potentially bought out. I'd be surprised if Trevor doesn't get moved again though.
0: That's really interesting. Yeah, it's I could see it. Even though again, from a political standpoint, it depends because Oubre has been pretty good for the Suns. If they move Ariza for nothing, basically, I know, I know that his restricted free agency status, meaning Oubre, limited them a lot with their cap situation, but I think from a political standpoint, they're going to make sure that they get at least some return on that investment. Otherwise, it's going to look just objectively bad on its face.
1: I feel like the best deal we've found so far is legitimately like the Bulls giving them like Wayne Selden and Robin Lopez to get off of that Brandon Knight deal with a first-round pick.
0: It makes the most sense. Either that or you go cheaper with Deadman from the Hawks. I think those are the two options. But if you do the deal with the Bulls, I think you really have to unload Knight to get the return on investment if you're going to give up a first for Robin Lopez on that deal.
1: Yeah. Um, speaking of the Bulls, let's, let's talk about Jim Boylan. Jim Boylan uh, got a raise on this year's contract, which look like th- that's a bad headline for the Bulls, like that they're giving a raise to Jim Boylan. But I think that there's something to just giving him more money because he's in a different job, right? Like he is now leading the team every single night. What I don't understand is giving him money next year. I I think, did did Woj say like 1 million and 1.6 million?
0: I think that's right, yeah.
1: So why are you giving him any money next year? Why are, why are you giving him more than what he already had guaranteed? Uh, Jim Boylan, for, for reference on this, like not only is he just a public relations disaster for Chicago. I, I mean, like every single thing that comes out of there is just a total nightmare, including the fact that he had to throw Robin Lopez, who's known as like a very good dude around the league out of practice today because Robin Lopez was like getting super physical in practice. Like the fact that there had to be a question at the press conference asking were any punches thrown, uh, is not a typically good sign when it comes to, uh, a coach getting the most out of his organization. So Jim Boylan so far is five for four or five and 14 with the bulls. Uh, he has the league's worst offense. It's worse than when Hoiberg was there. Uh, they have a, a negative 11.3 net rating. Uh, they're 1.5 points worse per 100 possessions defensively, which like they're playing this goofy ass slow scheme, uh, to try and like limit transition opportunities and trying to play better defense. But at the end of the day, they're playing worse offensively. They're playing worse defensively. I would argue that they've had a more full complement of players back since. Boylan took over than when Fred Hoiberg came back, because Hoiberg uh, only had one game with Lowry Markkinen, for instance. Like It's just totally bananas to me to give this guy actual dollars next year.
0: Yeah, I can't say that any better. I mean, to be fair to Boylan, it's not like the Bulls have a great roster personnel-wise. I agree with you. They've had had better talent recently because Markkinen's came back, Dunn's came back and played well, so they're not dealing with campaign anymore, point guard. So, the personnel isn't there. They're not supposed to be good. They're one of the worst three teams in the league, along with the Knicks and the Cavs, to me. But I don't know what he's done affirmatively in a positive fashion that would suggest that he's the long term answer here. He really hasn't done anything well. I mean, he hasn't done anything with the players he's had, which is, again, not saying a lot. But what is he, what's on his resume? What is on his resume this season that would suggest that he should have long term money?
1: Yeah, I don't understand full stop like i I don't get it like look you can maybe make the case that he's like changing the culture there um maybe okay uh that's fine but at the end of the day uh he's still just been like arguably worse than fred hoiberg i understand that like fred i think went five and 19 and boylan is five and 14 so like theoretically record wise it's a little bit better but their net rating is worse their defense is worse their offense is worse there's not really they've been blown out by 25 points i think like six or seven times since he's taken over so like the players just like clearly kind of quit whenever they get down like i just don't really understand it at all i don't understand what the move here is yeah
0: it's not like we're calling for the guy to get fired right now i'm just saying long-term incentive wise i don't know what he's really done objectively to deserve that i mean It's the Warriors. I watched the Warriors game when they played the other night. It just wasn't – it was laughably non-competitive. Like, they weren't even guarding Steph and Clay at times. Like, their scheme was off. It's just – what he's done – I mean, they don't shoot enough threes, in my opinion, for the most part. I don't know if that's supported by the evidence. It's when I watched. They have a lot of, like, mid-range shots. And, again, that's personnel-driven. Chris Dunn turns down a lot of threes to take long twos. So I I give him a pass for some of it. But, again, I don't see what – has transpired this year that would give you the kind of confidence that this is the answer long term because for coaches, I think you should probably move on and look for the best possible candidate because there could possibly be that guy out there. I, I wouldn't waste a year just because you think this guy is doing something for, for your culture unless you're like super confident that it's going to translate to on-the-floor value.
1: So their three-point rate uh, is, uh, I believe, on the season, 30.7. Under Hoiberg, it was 33.5. Under Boylan, it is, uh, I'm pulling up the number now, 27. Uh, I believe the 27 would be last in the NBA uh, in terms of three-point rate since he's taken over. So they're not. They're not running a modern offense. Uh, again, they're not very good defensively. And look, like nobody's expecting Jim Boylan to come in and like, lead this team on a winning charge, right? But I think it yeah. says a lot that they are worse since he took over.
0: It does. And I, that just goes to something the whole point of this is that we don't see what is happening on the floor that's positive that result in long-term commitment. It's not like he's been terrible or, I mean, you can argue he has been, but for what he has to work with, it's not like he's been egregiously bad. It's just that he hasn't done anything to me that stood out in a positive fashion, like utilizing his personnel in creative ways. Like I think Wendell Carter should be taking threes, especially from the corner. We haven't seen that enough. It's just like, there's a lot of things he could be doing with that roster that would better optimize his players, even though again, There isn't that that much talent to work with, but there is some talent to work with.
1: Yeah, the the Wendell Carter thing is very strange. Like he's like actively turning down threes now. Um, He has not taken. I'm aware. (laughs) Yeah, like he's not taken more than one three in a game since Boylan took over. Like if you look through his first twenty four games, there are a couple games you know he took two in their sixth game he took two in their seventh game he took three in their third game he took two in their 12th game like he took three in their 14th game he took two in their 20th game like he, he actually was getting them up a little bit and was starting to improve I thought a little bit uh, in terms of just getting acclimated to what his future role is going to be or what his future role should be uh, with the Chicago Bulls but you know it's you watch them and he genuinely like turns down open threes yep. because uh, it has to be a thing that he's being told to do i think because this is a guy that shot threes last year he was happy to shoot threes last year he's happy to shoot threes in the first 24 games he's not really shooting them anymore
0: and that's like that's a huge problem for me if you don't understand how you're going to optimize a player long term like if you don't understand the value of wendell's three-point shot to his projection that's a big area of concern like he should be taking threes he confident. Like he definitely shot threes for Duke last year when he was open to the shot. Now, he's not even looking at the basket half the time on these dribble handoffs. It's like he gets these wide open dribble handoffs, nobody's guarding him. It's like just shoot the ball, dude. Like and he should be encouraged to do that because the Bulls have to understand how they have to optimize their roster long-term. And that's the kind of stuff that just doesn't sit well with me short-term. It's like I get it, you know, he's shooting a very low percentage from threes, he's not making shots, but if you actually look at the tape and like what the shot looks like, it looks projectable. He should be able to shoot these shots and instill that confidence in him long-term you have to empower your players man and if they're not going to if they're going to make these guys diminutive as far as how they approach the game like that's just the stuff i don't get
1: yeah no i'm uh right there with you on this uh, it's just a very very bizarre situation <laughs> there, there's not really another way to put it um yeah l- let's just let's just move on I, I don't understand what's going on in chicago uh i guess we can talk about draft stuff now Right, it's, that's where we want to move. We don't have anything else NBA wise. Yeah, let's do it. Bonzi Colson just got signed. Is uh, a two way guy. Maybe that's I like that. Like our our lead in. Yeah, he got signed by the Bucks. Uh, the Bucks actually have the length to like kind of compensate for him. Uh, I think that's actually like a sneaky interesting move. It's one
0: of those guys who just has like a very low to the ground compact frame. We saw him really struggle with Jaron Jackson's length last year, so you question like what is this positional fit? But low center of gravity. Very skilled. like He's a very smart player. So I don't mind the, the play at all. I think it's actually kind of interesting. It's kind of one of those specialized pieces potentially. I mean, if he ever gets to that point in the playoffs, I, I don't know if he's going to get minutes for them clearly because they they're got they pretty deep this year. But it just gives them a variation to their roster that they don't have.
1: Yeah, 15 and a half points, eight rebounds. Uh, was making almost two threes a game at 39% from three this season for the Canton Charge. He's starting every game. Uh, it's a very reasonable signing, and I think it's actually – Something that you know, I'll be I'll be interested to see it play out. Let's talk about uh, Cam Reddish because Cam Reddish finally busted out. This is this is something that I've been waiting for. It's been something that I talked about as uh, you know, in terms of his role being something he's just been very different in terms of uh, what he's used to. I guess is the way to put it. Uh, he just balled out against Florida State after uh, Zion Williamson went out uh Zion Williamson got poked in the eye and I guess was seeing some double vision and Cam Reddish played the role that he was I guess uh, I think it's the role that he expected to play whenever he signed at Duke because if you remember Reddish was the first guy to commit to Duke yep. out of that trio uh, I would imagine that whenever he committed he thought he's going to be the next in line of that small ball for uh you know Jabari Parker Justice Winslow Jason Tatum uh Brandon Ingram, like all of those guys, he was the next in line. But when Zion got there, it just totally changed what the role was going to be. He's now like a spot up, get in the corner, knock down open shots kind of guy. And it's just very, it's different. You know, it's just very, very different.
0: It was just good to see him with some confidence and some fire. Like he, on one layup, I think he was kind of like a cathartic release where it was all the built-up frustration kind of coming out. And of course, hitting the game winner, I think that's going to do loads for his confidence. I didn't think what he did was all that different, really. I just thought he executed better. Like he had a, this one dribble handoff off movement three that was really nice, hit a pull-up three in transition. That one reverse layup that we saw, the, I think it was in the first half where it was like a double reverse. It was really, really impressive stuff on the closeout attack on the quick rip through this is stuff he can do like i was never really that worried about reddish because he's just such a clean nba projection to me if he shoots the ball which i think he's going to but just for his status right now and kind of how he was being treated because he i mean he hasn't been good the last games he hasn't been efficient so just seeing him kind of go out there and prove guys wrong just be like yeah i mean this is what i'm capable of doing if I get a little bit more usage or whatnot, I don't think he needs even a little bit more usage, but it's good to see that confidence kind of play out in a big moment. And he won the team, the game that's huge.
1: Yeah. So yes, I think that's all right. What I'll say too, is like, I think he had the ball more in his hands than what he has had uh, with Zion there. And when he plays, I think that, uh, he's gra- he grabbing, like, goad a little bit more. Grab and went, how- I guess. How <laughs> do we say grab and goad uh, as a past tense thing? Um, Let's just roll with that. <laughs> he-, he grab and went off of the glass. Uh, you know, that's when he knocked down that pull-up. Uh, I think it was like a 16-footer in transition. He just seemed a lot more comfortable because the spacing around him was different. Uh, this is something that I've, kind of talked about a little bit. I don't know if I've mentioned it uh, on Twitter or on the podcast, but like they haven't played a ton of minutes with like their best five. And by their best five, I mean uh, substituting in Jack White for Marquise Bolden uh, because – I think that that especially affects Cam when he has ball in hand because Reddish is like very clearly their best shooter whenever Jack White isn't on the floor. Uh, He's the guy that gets the most attention. He's the guy that uh, teams close out on hardest. Like he he just straight up is the guy for them. Uh, And whenever he drives, he just faces a wall at the paint, right? So that concerns me a little bit uh, in terms of uh, just the way that he is played around their entire uh, scheme so far and uh, you know maybe we'll see Jack White play more with Cam and we'll get to see more of him operating in slightly more open spaces but you play him down at the four you play him with Jack White with RJ Barrett with Trey Jones with uh, they played Alex O'Connell a little bit in that game like it just gives him a little bit more room and I think that he's someone that needs room because this is something that we talked about I think Last week, two weeks ago, he still has a pretty loose handle, but uh, if you give him more open space, that loose handle doesn't really come into play quite as much.
0: Very much agree, and I think the same goes for finishing around the rim. He's much better with one guy to beat instead of two, not very explosive in traffic, especially when you get into his body. That's This is why I'm not that concerned with him right now, because, yeah, the spacing isn't optimal, like you've noted. playing next to Zion, RJ, Trey Jones who's not a great shooter. So I, I think in the next level, he's going to have much better spacing. You can kind of project his game into that based on the flashes we've seen. It's just good for him right now based on his stock and how he's portrayed a guy who is always going to have that stigma of does he really care on a nightly basis? basis to go out there and play with some fire that's the biggest thing that stuck out to me
1: yeah i think that uh you know he's been better than nasir little this year at least like i think that those are the two guys that have gotten the most you know consternation from college basketball fans like why aren't these guys producing uh it was good to see him finally get some confidence it was good to see him finally really perform at the level that he's capable capable of performing uh yeah i'm not worried Uh, i still have him at number three on my board uh yeah, like his skill is just, it's there. It's obvious whenever uh, he gets the chance to show it. Uh, he's now look like he's turned the ball over a ton. He's uh, not yep. played at the level that you would hope. That not, I'm not saying like I'm happy with his performance this year, but I, I think that it's... Been a performance that uh, has obvious reasons that you can look at and say, hey, this is why this is happening. This is why he has struggled. And I think a performance like we saw on Saturday is kind of evidence of that.
0: And we'll see if it snowballs into a more positive, consistent performance going forward. Because I think that's going to be the issue with him is just being consistent on a nightly basis, bringing that mental approach. I didn't think this was his best defensive game. Um, he's had better. And I've been kind of a fan of his team defense this year. I think he utilizes his length well. Yep. He's got some IQ there. So I'm not I'm not worried about Cam Reddish. I think he's fine. I, I question the upside more than I question the floor. Very rare for a wing his size. We're talking legit 6'8", who can dribble, pass and shoot and shoot a little bit off motion to fail in the NBA. It's, it's just very rare.
1: Yeah, so uh, where do you want to go next with these guys? We have kind of a list that we want to run through here. So uh, I'll I'll give you the floor. Who's the next person you want to talk about?
0: I wanted to go to Eric Holman just because I watched the Mississippi State-Old Miss game. I know you did as well. What are your thoughts on Holman as a prospect?
1: Yeah, he's really interesting. I'm a little bit worried that he's a tweener, Uh, like between the four and the five. This is something that you and I have talked about pretty extensively, and I'm surprised no one has written about it yet. Um, You haven't written about this, right?
0: About what, about, um, Holman the four, or about just the, the concept full, of the tweeners?
1: Yeah. The concept of like the four five being a tweener now. I don't think
0: so. Not, not I've talked about it on Twitter, but I don't think I've written a piece about it.
1: Yeah. So like in the NBA right now, the tweener position used to be the three, four, and it has now since slid down to the four five because, uh, basically all of the fours can play on the perimeter. All of the fives, you know, it's not necessarily a, uh, necessary thing for fives to be able to play on the perimeter. So instead of it used to being you had your power four you had your center uh and you had three perimeter players it's now four perimeter players and your five so uh, defensively what you see here is that guys you know kind of like eric holman who are six foot ten 225 pounds and have good length they're good shot blockers you know it's it's you could see a world where he plays as like a small ball five and i think that's his role i think that he could be an interesting small ball five off the bench for an NBA team at some point, but they're probably a little bit better off. Like he's not a good primary rim protector, uh, you know, trying to just go up vertical. He's better as like a shot swatter coming over, rotating over from the weak side. Uh, you know, he's a really, really good shooter, but he's not a great ball handler, not a great guy to, uh, be able to like drive in and attack closeouts necessarily. He's like pure catch and shoot. Um, Really, really good shooter. Don't get me wrong. Like he's 44% from three this year, 43% last year. He can really shoot the ball. But I, I am a little bit worried that there is some tweener there, and I haven't really seen any evidence to change that breakdown coming into the year. Yeah, I'm not
0: sure about him as a ball handler. That's what I haven't really seen from him. I have seen some interesting passing, some short roll stuff. I think he does actually see the floor pretty well. Um, and mm-hmm. I think he's got okay enough feel to where he can play make a little bit. It's more of the the ball handling and attacking the rim on closeouts that I haven't seen enough of yet. That's something I'm going to look for for the rest of the season. But I very much do believe in the shot. I think he's very yeah. comfortable. You even takes him. He even takes some like sidestep pull up threes. You know, I don't know how translatable that is for sure. But the fact that he's that comfortable taking a shot like that, I think, is a really like positive indicator for his future success shooting the three. And that's something he absolutely has to do have value i think he's pretty quick off the floor pretty explosive from a standstill but he doesn't mm-hmm. quite have the measurables like you said to be like a standstill rim protector at the five he's more of a weak side guy uh, it is concerning to me i don't know if you noticed this but i think he got pulled from that old miss game because of his defense he i don't think he was very good defensively in that game i think he made a lot of mistakes and pick and roll coverages not recovering um so i think he got yanked for that and i don't like seeing that from an older player um, i'm not sure if that was Absolutely the fact that he got yanked for, or that was the reason, but just something to look out for a little bit. His defense, I think he reacts okay. He doesn't stick out to me in like dynamic fashion there, but he can really shoot. And I think he's going to get drafted in like the top, I mean, the top 50 or so for sure because of his intersection of shot blocking and shooting threes.
1: Yeah, no question. And again, like I I think he's an interesting backup, like small ball five long-term. Like he's, to me, he's kind of what people want from Marquise Chris almost
0: okay like i like it, that i like that a lot
1: yeah like people want Marquise chris to be able to knock down threes from distance they want him to be able to uh you know attack the rim off of cuts they want him to be able to uh block weak side shots and be like something of a you know rim protecting presence but you know, Marquise chris can't really do that um i think eric holman can do that uh the Big questions here, like you said. Not only the ball handling, he's not a good finisher around the basket. Like for all of the ability to get off the floor quickly, uh, whenever it comes to you know blocking shots and rotating over from the weak side and doing what you hope for from. Guys like Eric Holman is a senior uh, he doesn't really have that same bounce with ball in hand he's in the 48th percentile this year in terms of finishing at the basket uh, last season he was very good uh, I think that he was probably in the like 90th percentile there but uh, not a guy who's like ever really been an effective post-up guy not a guy who's really ever been a um, like he, he's just to me he just doesn't get off the floor as quickly with the ball in his hand.
0: Yeah, I think that's definitely fair. And one more point I want to make about his space defense. Kind of want to concentrate on that a little bit more as far as his switchability, how well he guards in space. Haven't seen too much great tape. Don't have great notes on that yet. Do you have any opinions on his space defense?
1: I think he's okay. I think he is, he's good for a center. I think he's probably not going to do well as a four because, as you kind of mentioned, he struggles a little bit kind of diagnosing what's happening off the ball and whenever he has to make like complicated uh, like reads off of screens.
0: Yeah, that's definitely fair. That's kind of what I've seen too. It's more intelligence based. I don't see a lot of high level stuff, even though he does flash occasionally, but we're kind of dealing with an older player that I expect a little bit more refinement in how he kind of, approaches different pick and roll coverages and stuff like that
1: yeah we'll see i like you said like i think he gets drafted in the top 50 uh, i think that he has a real chance to get a guaranteed contract i think some of what we've just discussed is like really nitpicky right
0: sure absolutely
1: um he has like, nba skills
0: know, that's crucial
1: yeah like picking nits is important in a lot of ways <laughs> uh, uh whenever it comes to the nba draft he has a lot of nba skills he's a 44 percent po- three-point shooter he is uh like you said, quick off his feet whenever he's trying to protect the rim. I still have some questions.
0: Absolutely. And uh, the next guy for me, I want to move on to that same game. Um, Terrence Davis on the other side of the floor. What is your opinion on him? Because some guys have been higher on him in the past as far as he definitely has first round athleticism. In my opinion, he was tremendously fast in the open floor with the ball. You know, he's a plus leaper, maybe not like a dynamic dynamic leaper, but very good athlete. What is your opinion on him?
1: Yeah. So he was someone that People were very excited about after his sophomore year. Um, yes. 15 points, five rebounds a game, two assists a game. Uh, kind of acted as like a, I guess, like almost like an on ball two because, you know, he, he would take like pull up threes. He would take four threes a game. He hit them at 33%. Like he was a fine shooter, I guess. Um, wasn't a great shooter, though. And then last year, uh, in the mess that was Ole Miss that resulted in Andy Kennedy getting fired, uh, everything regressed. Like everything across the board, from turnovers to scoring to shooting to efficiency, everything about it just got slightly worse. Um, this year, he looks much more poised. Uh, he looks yes. like he's a lot more calm on the floor. He used to be like kind of a whirling dervish almost of like just athleticism and like just kind of running all over the place this year. He is just calm. He's happy to have the ball in his hands. He's making better plays. He's making better decisions in terms of when to drive, uh, when to go up and try and finish at the basket. He's been a much better passer. His assist rate, uh, I think is basically doubled since that uh, sophomore season or, Is it, is it, it's, it's up substantially. I don't know if it's doubled, but it's like up substantially since that sophomore season. Um, The big difference here though, is that he's shooting 42% from three. And I'll be honest, I don't really buy that yet.
0: I'm not sure if I buy it to that level, but I do kind of buy the mechanics as far as he's always been able to shoot with some versatility. He's been okay off screens. He's shown that acumen to set his feet quickly this year. He is 24, 47 off the dribble, and that's 97th percentile on the half court. So I think you see enough diversity to his shot. I just worry more about the shot selection in the past. I mean, he takes some pretty bad shots, but I think you've noted this correctly. And I saw this in the Mississippi State game is the game has slowed down for him a little bit. And that's what I look for from him is like he wasn't making good decisions in the past. He was kind of out of control at all times. You could see the athleticism, but it was it wasn't applied functionally to the floor the way you'd hope and i think this year he's made a dynamic step forward as far as his decision making I'm not saying he's any kind of primary or probably even secondary decision maker but it at least gives him entertaining and like alluring upside in this draft to me like i think he has to be on the radar for teams because this guy has first round athleticism i think his burst his speed yeah. is is there it's really there
1: yeah to me he's more of like a two-way guy that i would want to develop okay. and like put in the g league next year uh Maybe that's mostly because I want to see the three point percentage, like, even out somehow. Uh, cause again, I still don't know that I buy him as, like, this really, really good shooter yet. But I agree with you. He's someone that has to be on the radar. Uh, he's someone that'll probably move into my top 100 again, uh, for the third straight year. Terrence Davis. <laughs> I-, I wonder how often that happens that someone is on my top 100 board three straight years. Uh, can't be, can't be too many guys, but Terrence Davis is going to be one of them. I'm, I'm at least intrigued enough to uh, watch, watch what happens here.
0: Yeah, for me, that's basically what he is. He's an on-the-radar guy. I don't know what I'm going to do with him. I wrote about him last year. I just was really intrigued by the physical package. Not an archetype I usually like to bet on as far as kind of an no. undersized scoring too, but he's just so freaking athletic that if he figures it out mentally, and he can make simple reads. I think he deserves a shot in the league.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I get that. Um, Blake Hinson. did Did you see him at all in that game? Not.
0: He didn't really pop for me in dynamic fashion. No. But go on. He, he's
1: he's like kind of interesting to me. as like a guy that's like six seven. Not like a bigger frame, but like he's he's already like two hundred and thirty pounds. Uh, knocks down threes. He's at like forty percent from three right now. Um, he he had a really really good game in that game. I thought. Uh, you know, part of it was. Like he just made threes, right? Like he went five of 11 from three, but he dropped 26 points. He had five rebounds. Um, someone to watch long-term, I think at least, because he has size. Uh, he has a good body. Uh, you know, he knocks down shots. If you're 6-7 230 pounds, and you can knock down shots from three, I'm probably at least semi-interested in you
0: okay i had him in my notes as well but i, I only had his number so that's why i didn't <laughs> respond to that but yeah the king of is definitely there at his size
1: yeah uh we'll see where it goes uh, i don't know uh let's let's move let's go to i just want to ask you about brandon clark i know you want to talk about brandon clark you always want to oh, talk i love about brandon, brandon clark, clark. <laughs> brandon clark was awesome god, he's fucking good san francisco he was so good he's so um, good like oh my god he just knows how to make the right read on every single play It's so much fun. Uh, I'm going to pull up the numbers on what he did in this game. I'm sorry. Uh, He had 24 points, 9 rebounds, 2 assists, uh, 9 of 15 from the field, 6 of 7 from the line. Uh, Only had one block, but the number of shots that he affected, just like leaping up uh, and using his verticality and using his unbelievable vertical. Unbelievable. He is a monster in every way. And he played like... That was, I think, the best space defense I, I think i've seen him play this year he was incredible all over the floor
0: agreed This is a complete nerd out moment just because whenever you go through all of these guys, like I end up cycling back to Brandon Clark like once every two weeks just with Gonzaga's schedule and all that. And you're just like, holy shit, this guy's good. Like he just sticks out compared to basically every other prospect. I don't know if I've ever seen a player like make the right read on defense basically every time. And like he was even covering for Rui at times. Like he'd take half step back to like make sure Rui covered the pick and roll coverage. And then he'd close out that one play that he had to block. He ended up closing out, stuck with his guy and then blocked it at the rim. Him and like a trail position like the guy's insane like that last block of the game i don't think he got credited for this on the perimeter but when he stunts at the driver then recovers and blocks the shot he's so quick off the floor just a dynamic functional athlete um his quickness off the floor his second jump down down the line i think his skill levels underrated. He can handle the ball. He's got good body control with the spin moves. We talked about his touch in the last episode. I'm buying that a little bit. I just think you can't find many basketball players that are better than him in the country. He's just so fucking good, man.
1: <laughs> it's it's really incredible. He's so damn good. Uh <laughs> in terms of where you would have him on some sort of um I don't even know if like I'm going to ask you to like say Word, but like i think he's a first round pick like for sure uh, i think that he might actually be like a top like 20 pick or so despite the fact that last podcast we talked about does this guy <laughs> have a position like do, i don't know if he has a position but he's a fucking great defender uh by the way over the course of his last 11 games over the course of his last uh i want to say it's 60 uh free throw attempts 72 percent
0: that's the touch thing, man. I think I think it's a little bit real. So uh, that's why I have him lottery. I just think that I believe in the touch enough to bet on him. And he's just too good at basketball. Like, I almost I care about position and I care about role. But with him, it's just like, put that dude on the floor. He's going to make plays defensively. He's going to be a really, really high-level team defender who has on-ball equity, too. I, think, I believe in his switchability more than I did before, just watching more of his tape. Um, the offense, I think he can score a little bit more than he gets credit for. I think, again, the face-up handle, he's got that smooth spin move. He can go over the top utilize his touch um if he shoots the ball he's a top five player from this class i'm just gonna say that outright like he's just that good instincts and like athleticism wise he's the he's with jackson hayes behind zion as the most functional athletes in this class in my opinion
1: Ooh, Jackson Hayes uh, is someone we should talk about because I just wrote that thing on Jackson Hayes <laughs> today. Got to got to get that plug in. Um, we there talked about Jackson Hayes on the last podcast, but you last, know,
0: last two actually.
1: <laughs> yeah, we, we just love this is the Jackson Hayes. Last year we were the official uh, Zaire Smith podcast. Uh, this year we are the official Jackson Hayes podcast. Uh, so. I I was a little bit more skeptical than you. I watched like eight of Texas's games this weekend. And I even texted you on maybe, I think it was like Saturday night. And I was like, you know, like I'm still not really catching the space defense. I'm still not like really, not like hundred percent sure because Texas plays a lot of drop coverage on middle pick and rolls. They play a lot of uh, conservative coverages with him where they just have them play in the middle and uh, kind of filter guys into him. I'm less concerned now after watching, I watched Grand Canyon. He was awesome against Grand Canyon. Grand Canyon plays like, look, you might. Be thinking, oh yeah, it's Grand Canyon. What does it matter? Dan Marley coaches Grand Canyon. Dan Marley was on the Suns bench for many years in the NBA uh, as an assistant, runs a five out, like very modern offensive scheme. And it gave Hayes a real chance to uh, show his movement skills uh, on the perimeter in a way that I hadn't really gotten a chance to look at yet. And he is just very, very impressive as a functional athlete. I just kind of believe he's going to be able to move uh, at the right level. Like he mentioned to me, so I talked to him last Friday. He mentioned to me, you and I had talked about like Steven Adams. The guy that he mentioned was Clint Capella to take it back to the top of this podcast. I think he is more of a Clint Capella than a Steven Adams in terms of like frame, in terms of quickness, in terms of everything.
0: That's really interesting. I would actually say that he is in the middle of both. (laughs) Like, I've never fully, like, got on with the Stephen Adams comparison just because nobody is that tough. Like, nobody is Stephen Adams as far as doing all the little things and being, like, that high level as far as his physicality but i do think those two are kind of an interesting combination for jackson hayes i I think that he's going to be bigger than capella as far as frame i do think he's going to fill out and be massive but the movement skills are kind of an intersection of both of them either i don't think he's as good of a leaper as capella is like he's good but he's not great you see some of his in traffic jumps not as dynamic he's just really big and he has outstanding hands. We've talked about all this, but for me, it was the Oklahoma State game that really did it for me, because we saw a different pick-and-roll coverage from Oklahoma State. They started trapping ball handlers, and usually with Texas, they don't. Like, when Jackson Hayes dives to the rim, he's getting chipped, he's getting tagged by multiple guys, because Texas doesn't have great spacing. But in this game, they were trapping the ball handler, we saw Hayes be able to playmake on short rolls. The first time he got to the rim in one dribble, he was fast with the ball. Like, his second step, he took an initial survey step, and then his second and third steps just were really fast to the rim, made some passes, some... Easy raids, but stuff you like to see with a guy with his coordination, some short roll like drop offs to the dunker spot. He had a couple assists there. One kick to the corner. I don't think that was an assist. I think that was a missed three, but he showed a lot more coordination. And that was something I was waiting to see. Like you can see it with how he moves. Like he's very, very yeah. coordinated athlete, but you wanted to see it a little bit more. At least I wanted to on the ball. And I think there's some untapped upside there.
1: He's a 6'11 guy who just like in the last year got to eleven. who yep. is like out here running Euro steps uh around guys like he did it against (laughs) providence he did it against uh in transition against another team this year and he missed both of the shots at the basket but like it just super fluid and like you look at it and you're just like how the fuck did you do that um yeah i'm i'm not i'm not questioning the short roll ability of it all i'm a little bit worried about the passing ability i will say that like i'm not necessarily as bought into that as you are uh he has like a 3.4 assist rate this year. And part of that is role. Like he is just purely a finisher for Texas, especially against teams that can't match up with him physically, uh, which is like a lot of Texas's early schedule. Right. But I want to see more of the passing ability because like you said, against Oklahoma state, he did make like a couple of good reads, but most of the time it was, I'm going to drive to the basket. I'm going to just kind of figure out where to go from there. Uh, The ball handling ability is something that I believe in i think he is going to be someone who can actually put the ball on the deck and actually do some things with it but i don't know i'll, I'll be interested to see how the rest <laughs> of his year goes i'm still like this guy's like a top 20 pick uh this guy is you know maybe a lottery pick at the end of the day i am still like not quite like you you like just really believe in him uh as a player and i get that i need to see a little bit more skill wise for me to think that like he's worth a top 10 pick
0: I think that's fair, and I think it's especially fair in the shooting department. I know you said that he's working on a mid-range shot or whatnot. We haven't really seen that. We've seen a little bit of flashes of touch on hook shots, but he's also had some pretty bad misses there. I don't think his touch is outstanding. It seems workable. Just for me... I love the baseline coordination, the athleticism, everything we've talked yep. about, a defined role in the NBA. I believe in his movement skills. I believe in his instincts as far as protecting the rim. I think he's shown a lot there for someone who has not played a lot of basketball. I think he's kind of a blank canvas athletically. Maybe there's a little bit more risk because he's going to take a little bit longer to develop because he's such a late bloomer. But I do think he's, again, the one big in this class where I look at and say, like at the end of the day, I think he can be an above average, maybe not a, a quote-unquote all-star caliber player because I'm not sure he scores enough. But I think contributing to winning, I think that he can be that caliber guy down the road, and he's worth investing in.
1: Yeah, I think that that's a pretty reasonable take. We'll see who ends up declaring for the draft. We'll see how uh, all of this ends up playing out. Um, Chuma Okike, do you wanna you wanna go there? Sure, let's do it. Uh, I'll let you wanted to bring him up, so I will let you uh, take the floor.
0: Yeah, just someone who, as a notable Kenrich Williams fan on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> that's why there's a lot of role here.
1: there actually yeah there's a lot
0: of Kenridge there like I, I looked at him and I was like damn there really is a lot of Kenridge there like going down to even the lack of scoring aggression like sometime with a Kiki it's like dude just put the ball in the net you're six eight you have length like go to the rim or something or create your own shot and he's very very passive very I'm gonna make the best play via pass like gets these functional offensive rebounds and just immediately kicks it out very unselfish player and then you see him in his last game where he attacked a closeout and just off two feet, dunked on somebody. And I love the IQ as far as team defense awareness. His length is functional. He gets a couple blocks at the rim because he can reach out. Not a dynamic leaper off one or... in in non-load-up situations, but you see see a 6'8 guy with some developmental upside. This is a guy we talked about before the season started, just really improved his frame this year, maybe not maximized yet, but definitely looks better and more cut than he did last year. And you have a guy with that kind of IQ with workable skill level, like not great. I'm not sure he's a high-level prospect at all, but I think he, again, deserves to be on boards. I know ESPN, I think, had him top 40 in their last board release. So that was kind of encouraging. I just think there's some, some stuff to work with there. And I love IQ players that have positional size.
1: Yeah. So, uh, 3.6 steal rate, 6.4 block rate. That's a very rare combination, uh, from guys. And by the way, Auburn has another guy like that in Anthony Mclemore, who's even more impressive 3.4, oh, yes. uh, steal steel rate, 11.9 block rate. Uh, which one of those two guys do you like more?
0: I think okiki just because i see a little bit more projectable role for him i've never really bought macklemore's three-point shot I, I just think he he yeah. has some really really bad misses but his vertical spacing is impressive and that guy tries to block everything like he really popped for me last year he was good in the game that i watched the other day too so i, I think there's definitely some allure but okiki i just think has a little bit more projectable role if he can make shots off the catch
1: yes i would agree with that uh I am a little bit worried about the rebounding ability. Uh, he is not like a great defensive rebounder by any stretch of the imagination. His turnover rate, is really sky this year. Uh, it's at 22 right now. Uh, he's yeah. Making some pretty questionable decisions. And I think some of them too, I think he does just like generally lose the ball sometimes whenever I've watched him, like he he just kind of like just gets stripped kind of going into the paint whenever he gets a chance. Uh, Generally, I'm, I'm like him. Like, I think he is a top 100 player uh, on my board. I think he is someone that should probably go back to school, uh, take over for when Bryce Brown, shot-chucker uh, ch- extraordinaire, ends up departing <laughs> Auburn. By the way, like, it's not bad for Auburn that Bryce Brown is a chucker. I, I don't mean that, like, derogatorily to his role for what they are. Um, it serves purpose for them because he can actually sure. get a three whenever he needs it. Um, <clears throat> but I, I think that, you know... It, if he was to leave or when Bryce Brown leaves and Okiki was to return to school, he would pick up a lot of that slack as long as he was willing to really become like a shooter.
0: And that's a little bit what I'm worried about with him. He's not the most assertive player. So the longer he sticks around, I think that might become more obvious to guys. He doesn't have that takeover mentality. He's very, he defers a lot. That's why he reminded me so much of Kenridge as far as just the the intersection of high IQ and then just that inability to really take over games you really be frustrated with someone like that at times but i i do agree i think he's probably best to return another season and for me he's just someone to keep on the radar like if he declared i'd have him as a second round pick pretty f- for sure I, I just think he'd be in that range for me yeah. c- considering all the other players who so i'll i'm always going to bet on iq if you have baseline athleticism his is pretty baseline like he's a good athlete i don't think he's necessarily great um he can slide he's good laterally he's got good movement but the the challenging shots vertically is a little bit of an issue as far as contesting shots but there's a lot to work with here especially in like the mid second round i think you can make a pretty easy case for him
1: so uh speaking of high iq players let's go on ahead and move on to another one of the cole's wicker favorites this year tyrese halliburton (laughs) um shout out matt Curley, who i know listens to the podcast he's been on my ass about Tyrese Halliburton all season and like pre preseason <laughs> he is uh, I love Matt Matt is just the greatest human uh just nailed this one in every way Tyrese Halliburton is uh I think again he should probably try and return to school and once Nick Weiler-Babb leaves once uh Mariel Shayok leaves. At least those two will be gone. Um, you know, it's up for debate whether or not Lindell Wigginson or Taylor Horton Tucker will Taylor in Horton Tucker will end up uh, coming back to school there's a real chance for him to show off as a primary next year and, and like really put up numbers and really dominate games. I'm a little also worried about the slow developing three point shot off the catch. Like it takes um He needs a lot of daylight to be able oh, yes. to knock down those shots. He's shooting 47% from three, but he needs a lot of time. Um, overall though, I'm a fan. He is just such a smart player. He makes the right decision every single play. Like you can trust that guy to have the ball in his hands and you never have to think twice that uh, it's going to become a problem. And then additionally, uh, you know, he is an efficient three point shooter. He is good as a scorer inside the lane. He's taken 26 shots in 16 games uh, from two point range, which is just hilarious in a lot of ways. <laughs> He's taken 11 free throws, which is again, kind of hilarious. He is, he is an off ball guard, For me, but at 6'5", and uh, hopefully once he puts on a little bit more weight in the coming years, I think that he is going to be a very, very real first round prospect.
0: I totally agree with that. His IQ just pops. He's going to be one of the favorites of the model's. Um, this upcoming year or next year, just because his numbers are ridiculous, but you can really see it on the floor. Like the quickness of which he reads the game, just few guys have this kind of natural feel at this age. Like it just immediately pops. Basically makes the right decision every single time with the ball. Um, his assist to turnover ratio and the transition is 35. He has 35 assists and zero turnovers, I believe. So, like, he just, he's going to pop on a lot of different numbers based metrics and you can see it on the floor though i totally agree with you about the shot he's really got to speed up his release off the catch that is going to be the primary fixture for him he's got something though it's either touch or it's hand-eye coordination he's got some kind of input that makes him a deadly shooter because I agree. The mechanics are a little slow, a little bit low at times, but like he makes open shots when he's open, he will make the shot. So he's got something going for him. There's more to work with there than meets the eye from like a low attempt rate and and the mechanics. I I just think that maybe touch, maybe it's hand-eye coordination. He's got the broad shoulders too. So I think he can add a little bit of strength in the upper body too. So just more of a developmental guy, but a guy that has basketball feel that you can't teach.
1: Yeah, no question. Uh, Last stop here. Georgia do you want to you want to go to Georgia and talk Nick Claxton and Rayshon Hammonds
0: let's do it because that's just that's like the weirdest situation <laughs> the roster wise that I've watched all year watching Nick Claxton play de facto lead guard
1: yeah <laughs> yeah so uh Tom Crean got hired there uh, I love Tom Crean uh he is someone that will like sit down and talk basketball with you all day uh he is just awesome as a person uh a lot of people. I understand that, like he has the reputation that he has. Uh, I think that uh, you know I've talked to people who worked for him, and he's very demanding in terms of what he asks from the people who work for him. But it's out of a commitment to wanting to be the absolute best, and I like kind of respect that in a lot of ways. Um, and again, like he's someone that you know I've talked to a few times, and have just come away blown away with just how uh, nice he is and how uh, interesting he is to speak with about basketball he doesn't have the roster to do what he wants to do Uh, just like uh, he wants to have like a lead guard who can run screen and roll and he wants to have a lot of guys who can really really space the floor Uh, Georgia like you said is occasionally running like Nick Claxton as their lead initiator because guys like Tyree Crump and Tayshawn or is it Tayshawn Hightower, right? Um, just aren't aren't the kind of initiators that he needs to run his scheme. So it's this this situation is going to look so different a year from today that I don't even know like what to make of it all.
0: I think that's why I wanted to talk about the prospects so much. It's just so interesting with Nick, Nick Claxton. I guess we can start there. Like a 6'11 guy who's basically playing as like a point big. And like he can protect the rim. Like he's got pretty damn good shot blocking instincts in my opinion. Like his rotational awareness. He'll have some on blocks with excellent timing. And he really pops there as far as his IQ. And then he'll grab and go in transition. Be dribbling through his legs. He'll take like this wonky ass dribble pull up that's contested. You're just like, what the hell is going on with this team? But he d- he does have a luring IQ. He's just from clean
1: freedom, baby.
0: <laughs> he's just really skinny, like Nick Claxton. Like that's my issue with him is like projecting him. I think he's gonna get moved around. He does have that that length. And he does have I think and. The- Intriguing skill package. I'm not sure if I think it's like elite, but he can definitely dribble and pass adequately. And the shot is kind of more a projection. I mean, this year he's only, I think, 11 of 44 on jumpers in the half court. So not great there, but just some intriguing skill level for his size. And I do think his defensive awareness is pretty good.
1: So which one of these guys do you like better, Rayshawn Hammonds or uh, Nick Claxton?
0: I think Hammond's just because it's an, a much easier fit for him at the next level. Like Claxton is more of like a jack of all trades, master of none really at a big position where I'm not really sure how he fits in where Hammond's. It's pretty easy to see where he fits in.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, i it- The key is the jumper with Hammonds. Uh, Not a guy who made or took a ton of threes last year. uh, Didn't have a reputation as a shooter entering Georgia. Now hitting 42% on limited attempts, like two attempts per game for Georgia this season. Uh, The good news is he's at like 84% as a free throw shooter. So there might just be like a very real case that he has improved as a jump shooter just realistically. I don't know. Uh, Like I buy the athleticism. I buy the body. I think think he's probably okay as a catch-and-shoot guy. I think he's probably still a year away, though.
0: Definitely fair. Um, it's worth pointing out off the catch- this year, I had this pulled up. He's 93rd percentile, only 33 attempts, but 16 of 33. It looks good on film when you watch him. He keeps his elbow in well. It looks like a very projectable shot. I don't know how much game he has outside of his shooting. Like and I've only seen a very limited amount of him, so I, I haven't really seen the high-level handle or passing ability. He kind of got sped up a couple times. He was forced to create. But off the catch, I think there's definitely something to work with, and you don't find many guys that are fluid off the catch who can defend who are 6'8", 235, have that frame... I don't know about the vertical athleticism, but laterally he seemed very competent. So just a guy that I think the team should have on their radar. Um, I don't know if he even goes second round if he can't came out, but I, I love him in the G League. I love him in the G League. He's exactly the kind of guy I want to invest in in that kind of capacity.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. Like, I, I would for sure give him, I mean, it's all it's all like marginal, right? Like, what, what are your opportunity costs in terms of who you could sign to a two-way contract? Yeah. Uh, Versus Rayshawn Hammonds, uh, he would probably be among the top picks for me to sign to a two-way contract. I
0: love big wings who can defend big wings because that's one of the hardest things to get. We talk about draft scarcity. There just aren't as yeah. many of these kinds of guys as you think. There's not as many and thirty pounds guys who can shoot off the catch from three. You, you, don't, you think that there might be, but when you actually look at the draft holistically, there's not. So this is the kind of player I'd like to invest in, especially if the, if the cost is very low. Like I don't know if he's for sure an NBA player. I'm not sure about the IQ yet. I haven't seen enough of him, but at least from a baseline perspective, I can see the reward of investing in someone like this.
1: Yeah. And like the same Nick Claxton is different. uh, Obviously as a player, he's a five. I think he's like a, he has to shoot it. Like, I think he's a pure stretch five who is going to have to shoot it to be valuable. Um, He's just not a good enough finisher inside. Like he gets moved around a little bit too often. Uh, He's been 50% and 47% from two point range over the course of the last two years that's not great uh for a guy who's six eleven and has his kind of size and length tools uh 10.7 block rate though like i wonder if his future is the next like eric holman
0: very interesting yeah i definitely see that connection for sure
1: yeah like very very similar kind of skill sets and toolboxes uh with those two guys uh is there anyone else that you want to bring up before we get out of here cole
0: just two guys really quickly. Uh, first one's Isaiah Roby. We have probably talked about him at some point on the podcast. Just had a really good game against Penn State. If you haven't watched that Penn State game, Josh Reeves was really feeling himself in that game. I've never seen him that aggressive <laughs> offensively. So that was a fun one. Uh, but Isaiah Roby, I, I do think I'm waiting for him to turn the corner offensively. He's still too passive, passing up open threes. I love his mechanics. I think he's going to shoot from NBA 3. I think it's very fluid. Um, he's an underrated athlete. He can put the ball on the floor, finish on closeouts, even, even explode off one. I think he's an underrated passer. He can even pass on the move a little bit. You're just kind of waiting for him to put it all together because he can protect the rim from the weak side. Um, He moves pretty well in space. So I think there's definitely a role for him at the next level. Maybe you'd qualify him as more of a 4-5 or tweener, but I think he might be able to play the 4 at the next level. I just want more mental consistency from him. And if he shows that, I think he's going to go too low in the draft.
1: Yeah, I think that that's probably pretty reasonable. Uh, I want to bring up that Jalen Pickett tonight. Uh, made four threes in like a three minute stretch for Siena against Monmouth
0: that was my that was my second guy I wanted to bring up <laughs>
1: was it go ahead.
0: No no I was gonna say with Pickett I, I only saw the first half of his recent game against Marist but I do like his feel for the game he reads the floor very well for yeah. a, a freshman guard like he can make skip past reads he can manipulate the defense with different pass fakes clearly has some athleticism deficiencies like he tried to get his own shot a couple of times in one-on-one it just did not turn out well but I, I like the IQ I think there's a lot to work with from a guy that has that kind of intelligence but it's just gonna be come down to the athleticism I didn't see any pull-ups in that game but I know he's known for that so I gotta watch more of him
1: yeah I I think that he really needs to be like a high level shooter. Uh, He has a lot of potential to do that. I think uh, just given the uh, sheer number of pull-ups that he's taken, he's at 34% from three coming into this game. That number will obviously jump. Uh, He's four for six from three right now, as we talk about what's happening on the floor Uh, in terms of his catch and shoot 96th percentile this year, uh, jump shots off the dribble 83rd percentile this year. So both of those numbers, very, very high level, very good. Uh, needs to continue to do that though, because I I do wonder about the explosiveness vertically. I wonder about the quickness Uh, just very, very smart player, very good footwork, very good with the ball screen, excellent passer Uh, just needs to continue along this trajectory. I think that we might be talking about him next year as like a two and done guy out of Siena, which is really, really impressive, but he's still not quite there yet.
0: Yeah. I have nothing to add. He's going to have to be a knockdown shooter. I completely agree with you on there.
1: Um, I'm trying to think if there's anyone else that I want to bring up just very briefly. Uh, I don't know. I think that that's, I think that's about it. I think that's all I've got here. I mean, you, you haven't been super high on Jalen Horde, right? Like Jalen Horde might be someone worth talking about. I, I've been very disappointed with what I've seen from him in the games that I've watched.
0: And I can echo that a hundred percent. I think I've only seen two games or so, but hasn't been shooting with any kind of fluidity from three—that's something that I watched him at Hoop Summit. and I watched a shot up close, and I kind of liked a lot of elements of it. So I think over time he might shoot, but athletically he just doesn't look anything close to what I thought he would. I mean, he was never like a dynamic, dynamic athlete, but I thought he would look—he would pop more in that capacity compared to other college players.
1: No, yeah, he looks like a four in like a pure four in college, like
0: which is no, not. Good.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's not like his his fluidity is just not quite there necessarily and maybe like it's just he's playing for wake forest and it's a fucking disaster but like i don't know i'm not a not a huge fan
0: 19 percent from three it's just it's hard to get behind somebody with these kind of numbers right now he does have some pedigree again going to the hoop summit i was a fan of his as a low at a lower level but more as like you know a pick in the late teens early 20s and now he's not a first round pick this year there's just no way you can really make that case
1: yeah like i had him i think it like Twenty-five or so coming into the year, uh yep. he is someone that's going to drop out of my top fifty on my next board.
0: Yep, I would. What do you think he does? Do you think he comes out? Do you think he goes back?
1: Oh, uh, I think he should definitely go back or go pro in France.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: Like, maybe you don't declare for the draft. Maybe you just go back to France, or you you go somewhere else. Actually, France doesn't have the best reputation for development for prospects. So, like, maybe you go to another... Maybe you go to, like, the Adriatic League. Like, he actually would probably be really good in the Adriatic League if he can learn to shoot. Um, So, like, maybe that's the move.
0: Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense.
1: And, like, I only say that because... Oh, boy, Wake. (laughs) Uh, Lost by 20 to a St. Joe's team that is like just an abject disaster. Lost to Gardner-Webb. Lost to Georgia Tech by 13. Uh, Didn't look competitive at all against Tennessee. Uh, Lost to Richmond, who is not very good. Uh, Never looked competitive against Duke, obviously, but I'm not going to hold that against them necessarily. Um, And also just wasn't very good against Miami either they they really struggled against miami uh, that's that's kind of the impetus for this like i watched uh, a good okay. amount of that miami game and uh, okay you know i just came away just super unimpressed he fouled out he went three of 12 from the field he turned the ball over four times like it was just unimpressive in every way
0: yeah he has not it's not been there for him this year one more thing for me before we get out of here kevin porter jr i'm gonna give you the floor here oh go yeah with that.
1: we should uh we should talk about that um so he gets suspended uh, on Sunday. It's apparently attitude-related issues, uh, I was told. He then releases a statement today, which I'll be honest, he probably shouldn't have done it. Uh, th- I'll give you the exact uh, statement there has been speculation that I will no longer finish the season as a Trojan those accusation and what has brought a lot of negative attention to the Trojan family are all false I am a Trojan and never once have been put in a predicament from our coaching staff that I was removed and wasn't a part of this program I apologize for all the accusation that has been said about me and our hope and hope our support and our family stay as one fight on uh, Trojan family so I I, I guess that like uh, Andy Enfield said after the game that he was suspended indefinitely. I, I think that it's more like, you know, Andy wants to see him do the right things and like, he'll be back. Cause like, there was all that speculation that he was just never going to come back. Right. Uh, that he was just going to be gone yeah. to the NBA uh, because of the uh, injury to his, I, I want to say it was like a, a contusion to his upper leg. I never really bought that. Like I've talked to him uh quite a bit this year Uh, I have uh, done a lot of background research into him the impression that I got was that he always wanted to play uh, that he always wanted to get back on the floor and prove himself and uh, compete you know he's a guy that's missed some time in each of his like last four years if I remember correctly so definitely a guy that has a reputation for missing some time Um, also someone that is expected to be a one and done. And once the situation kind of got up in the air, I think a lot of people just kind of wondered if this was going to be, you know, a thing that continued to dog him as he continued on uh, over, you know, the course of the pre-draft process. I, yeah, like I I think he'll be back. I think he'll play again for USC. Uh, Just kind of believe that.
0: Yeah. I'm deferring to you on all this just because you're much more tied in. So take Sam for his word there, as far as what he thinks, um, I can just and, speak and like, to... I, I'm
1: not, like, certain on this either. Like, I, oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, sure. I've, you know, I, he's still suspended, obviously. Like, maybe he ends up suspended the whole year, but it, the impression I get is that he'll be back.
0: For sure. And I, I can just speak to what I see on the floor. USC is a fucking disaster to watch. I'm yeah. just going to be frank about it. Like, watching them against Oregon State, it They're was tough just... tough to watch. It was unbearable, man. So much isolation, pull-up from Boatwright boat and stuff. And he had a great game, of course, scoring. But, like, so much... Uh, it, it was not, It was like ISO-based offense. Like There was times where Kevin Porter was just basically spacing to the corner and like out of the play. So I don't know if his reaction to that is what caused this. I have no idea. I'm not going to speculate. But USC is just not fun to watch, man. And we still haven't really seen Porter in any kind of impactful, leveraged situation. He did drive to the rim a couple times and met your boy there. I forgot his name for Oregon State.
1: Kyler Kelly.
0: There you go. Yeah, defensive I l- stopper. I love Kyler
1: Kelly. I love Kyler <laughs> Kelly so much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he got the better of Kevin Porter a couple times, man. Like that one block was pretty impressive, but uh at least we saw Porter attack a little bit. I mean, he still settled for the two like step back threes. So, we just haven't seen him in any kind of projectable role still. He gambles too much on defense. He doesn't recover in real time. There's just not enough to go by. The kid's talented. Um I don't know him personally. I'm I'm, of course, going to bet for him, of course, and on him because he's from a near beach, which is close to where I live. But uh, there's just not enough of a sample to go on yet, man.
1: Yep, my tweet was, if you're USC and you're going to have people take shitty contested pull-up jumpers, (laughs) why wouldn't you have Kevin Porter take the shitty contested pull-up jumpers? Especially because when he shoots them, they often aren't (laughs) shitty contested pull-up jumpers.
0: Um, There you go. Aptly put, man.
1: So, like, I would... it's hard because the the guy the seniors have put in a lot of time into the program. Kevin Porter has obviously just been suspended for uh you know attitude stuff, right? So I think that there's a real chance that like you lose the team if you just say okay, we're gonna let Kevin be on ball and make decisions, right? Uh, just from like you know a paying dues perspective yeah. and from the way a team operates, the way older guys operate, like. I wouldn't blame them if they were pissed about that. I think that USC's best chance to win games just from a talent perspective, not from a locker room perspective, because I think that that aspect of it is very real and something that um, we have to account for. I think that they should just run like Kevin Porter screen, like uh, you know, open offense, uh, just run motion offense, put the ball in Kevin Porter's hands uh, and let him make decisions. He's a pretty good passer. He's a great shooter off the ball uh, or great shooter on the ball. Uh, you know, if, then you just kind of kick it out to Derek Thornton. You can move Kevin off the ball, uh, make defenders defend him in space and close out on him where he can really uh, do some shit with the ball in his hands. I, I like that idea more than anything else I've seen them do this year. And like USC actually has real talent. Like Nick Rokosevic is, has like taken an actual leap this year. Like he's pretty good now. Benny Boatwright is a useful player in some way. If you convince him to never dribble the ball before shooting, um, Jonah Matthews <laughs> is a 40% three point shooter. Shaquan Aaron's a 38% three point shooter. The problem for me is that Derek Thornton dominates the ball and isn't good enough to be dominating the ball in the way that he does. Um, and then additionally, they just don't have enough, uh, depth right now, right? Like it's Rikosevic, Thornton, Boatwright, Porter, Matthews, Aaron, that's six guys. Uh, Jordan Usher transferred to Georgia Tech. Uh, Elijah Weaver has been in and out of the lineup with injury. J Ron Brooks isn't ready. Uh, Victor, uh, you, uh, you, I believe is how you say his name. Uh, he's not very good, uh, probably more of like a big west type player um jaron brooks might eventually be there he was like a top i think like 100 150 maybe recruit uh someone who might at some point become a valuable player for usc someone that you certainly want to keep around um probably could see slightly more minutes than what he's gotten so far but he hasn't really been good in the minutes that he's played so they're, they're in a tough spot uh, in terms of depth, in terms of um, defensive acumen, in terms of like the seniors having a lot of say. Uh, the good news is that uh, Isaiah Mobley comes in next year, Anyeke Kongwu comes in next year, and they have like one of the best recruiting classes in 2019. So uh, just wait, just wait a year, I would say.
0: There you go. And just selfishly for me, of course, I just want to see Kevin Porter in as many creation and projectable circumstances that you possibly can because the kid has real talent. I mean, there's no denying that. You just want to see him in as many projectable um, forms as possible before the draft because, again, we haven't seen too much of that. Like, spread, pick, and roll with him would be great. Any kind of movement where he's actually moving off the ball and not just standing still, like, he doesn't know where to be. And that's something we have to mention, too, is like, I don't know if he's on the same page as the rest of his team. Like, he ran back in transition one time against Oregon State and he ran to the wrong side, gave up an open yeah. three it doesn't seem like he's in concert with the rest of his teammates so from a real life perspective i can kind of understand a little bit maybe this decision without knowing the exact details but just from a selfish kind of right about the draft standpoint i I wish we could see a little bit more
1: right and like i've said in the past like if you go to usc games like you can see like andy like you know telling him where he's supposed to be on the floor at times right yeah like this is not new i'm not surprised that this is happening um I'm a little bit surprised, I guess that like this whole situation is happening, but I am uh, not surprised that like, it's taking him some time to adjust and taking some time to operate. Even like when they have him stand in the corner, I wish that they would have him like roll up to the wing and like catch kick out passes, like where he can either sure. just knock down, catch and shoot threes or can um, attack off of closeouts where he's so deadly. He just doesn't really get a chance to even do that stuff. Nope. So yeah, no, kind of a bummer. Uh, I, I, you know, just is what it is right now. Um, I think that's all we got, right? That's it from me. You can subscribe to the Game Theory Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Android, wherever you get uh, premium or, in this case, suboptimal podcasting content. Uh, you <laughs> can get that there. Uh, PocketCast is a great app. Uh, what app do you use for podcasts, Cole?
0: I usually just do iTunes and just stream through that on, onto my phone um, for the most that, part.
1: That's what I do. And people say, oh, it's not that good. I think it's like totally... Totally great. I'm I'm a fan. Perfect, it. perfectly adequate. Yes, per- perfectly good for me. Um, you can uh, listen to the podcast later on this week. All Tony Jones on. Uh, we're going to talk about some more NBA stuff. Uh, not quite sure what the theme of that show is going to be yet, but we'll find out soon. Think that's going to be it. So until next time, uh, we'll talk soon. Bye.